But now we're at that time in the Christian calendar that we call Holy Week. As we consider the last few days of of Jesus' life before he would be betrayed by one of his own, as he would go towards that cross, and before he went to that cross, be abandoned by the disciples, all who said, I'm going to stick with you, be falsely accused of blasphemy, then, of course, brutally scourged and crucified on a cross. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the Monday. And on the Monday, this is what, if we read the scriptures, this is, the, this is actually this Sunday, which we call Palm Sunday. And uh, if you've got liturgical calendar, that's what they call it. And would you come with me to Mark chapter 11, 1 to 11, where we read of Jesus' triumphant entry. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethany by Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied to a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying the colt? They answered, as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna! In the highest, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So here's Jesus. He's the winner. Just think what he's done up to this point. He's fed 5,000. You can read that in Matthew. He's raised Lazarus from the dead. He's cast out demons. And look, you know, casting out demons is one thing when you're there. But in the instance in Mark's gospel, chapter 10, uh, chapter 7, he just says to the woman, because of your faith, the demon's gone. So he didn't even go to the house. He cures the epileptic boy. He cures the deaf and mute man. And it says, actually in Mark, that the people were astonished. He has done everything well, they said. He makes even the deaf and the mute to hear. (laughs) It's interesting because, you see, when they were saying, Hosanna, you know what that means? It means, save, we pray thee. Also, it says, blessed is he who's coming, kingdom of David, our father. And what's going on here is that the people are thinking, well, look, you've got to understand what the background here. The people are looking for the Mashiach. Jesus comes up 
and he's, everybody's rejoicing because the city is rocking because of what Jesus has done. And they want to make him king. <laughs> and you would think now, if we were writing the story, that this would be the moment now that, you, that Jesus reveals his glory. The people are for him. He's, he's got influence and power. And the people are like, whoa, this is it. This is who we've been looking for. Ha ha. You see, Jesus is a bit different. You see, in one sense, Jesus has got what we call the big mo. You know what the big mo is? It's called momentum. I saw some of Martha there. He's got the big momentum. And this would be the time for him to do, you know, to reveal himself. However, <laughs> let's just read on. It's now Monday. Mark chapter 11, 15, 19. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you've made it a den of robbers. Hmm. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard it and began looking for ways to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and disciples went out of the city. So Jesus has the big mo. And if Jesus was a political leader, if he was campaigning for office, he would have taken advantage of that and he would have built on the momentum and you could imagine the political commentator saying, this Jesus, he's going to make things different. However, Jesus wasn't like that. What does he do? And you can, I can imagine it now. The disciples were like, Jesus, man, this is it. You know, you've got the momentum. And instead of Jesus building on you, what does he do? He antagonizes the very people who are afraid of him. He goes, you, you don't, you know, it's, I can imagine it. When he went into the temple and he did what he did, I can imagine the disciples saying to him, Jesus, what are you doing? Man, you got the big moan. The people thought, why are you going antagonizing them people? Don't you know them people will kill you? <laughs> yeah, that was Jamaican, forgive me. <laughs> they, they will kill you. But Jesus says, look, Jesus says, look. And the disciples said, look, you're a winner. Why are you doing this? Winners don't do this. They don't go antagonize the people that are going to kill them. You've got momentum, man. <laughs> but you see, the thing is this. See, Jesus was about inclusion. And the religious community, the Pharisees, they had excluded people. They loved it that if you weren't a Jew, you were less, you were almost an infidel to them. They had become exclusive. They had tied up the people with laws. And this good news was no longer good news. They turned the temple into some kind of commercial activity. And Jesus, with the momentum he had from the crowd, he didn't build on it for himself. What he said is no, this is about inclusion, not exclusion. This good gospel is for everybody. When he came to the temple, we read in Luke 4, 18, Isaiah 61 cross-reference, right? 
He came to bind up the brokenhearted. He came to claim liberty to the captives. That's what he came to do. But the religious community were interested in their own goals, in being exclusive, in making sure you knew whether you were in or out. Jesus said, no. My house shall be a house for all nations. He moves from one sense of being the winner in the eyes of the people and his disciples in that action. It's Tuesday. And the transition from being the winner of the people to being rejected by the religious community intensifies. Come with me now to Luke chapter 20, 1 to 8. You're going to get a lot of Bible this morning. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. In other words, there was a deputation. Isn't it interesting? It's while he's proclaiming the good news that they came to him. Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? They said, who gave you this authority? He replied, hmm, I will ask you a question. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? <laughs> They're like, hmm, 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 this is difficult. They discussed it among themselves and said, hmm, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it is from. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you what authority I'm doing these things by. (laughs) Bye-bye. This is outright confrontation. All the religious community begin to question his authority. But I love the way that Jesus answers their two questions with one question which exposes their duplicity. You know, it's interesting. In the world, winners are concerned with being popular, using the correct sound bites, and being well thought of by the movers and shakers. Jesus is not influenced by any of that stuff. And let me just say, you know, one of the challenges that we have as followers of Jesus, particularly in the West, where we're into empirical scientific evidence to prove that Jesus rose from the dead, where we only can understand things whether we can understand it rationally. I I made a comment that the Holy Spirit has been restricted in the West, particularly in some churches, to just conviction and conversion. But what we find in the third world is that the Holy Spirit is doing works of power because he's not limited there. You see, you have two extremes. You have what we call empirical, scientific rationalism in the West, and you have animism, as it were, in the other parts of the world. So they see spirits everywhere. You say, what do you mean? Well, you go to India, and they've got a little shrine there. You come to, you come, if you're a Christian and you love Jesus and you talk about the resurrection, the things like people look at you. Surely in these times, with the scientific understanding that we have, and the education, how can you believe these things? The, you know, there are some in the church 
who would say, we, don't, we believe in the resurrection, but not in the mechanics of the resurrection. <laughs> These people, they, are, they have collars. They, 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 you know, they're, they're reverent. So I, think, I thought, well, what's that all about? You don't believe in the resurrection, in the mechanics. You see, that's the kind of stuff. Because you see, if you want to be fated by the intellectual community, by the academics, then you, you cannot under believe these things. But you, let me tell you this, that if you're a follower of Jesus, Paul said this, he said, the cross is foolishness to those who are being saved. I'm prepared to believe that God in his creative power could come in the person of Jesus Christ and walk this earth and go onto a cross and in that moment between Good Friday and Sunday, rise, rise, rise from the dead, having conquered the enemy, and he's now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. And I believe it by faith. That's the truth. And we are not to be ashamed of that. Must return to the text. <laughs> Jesus said this. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And you see, what he's talking about life is not your physical life, it's your soul life. It's that desire to be affirmed by people who don't know Jesus. He says, if you're prepared to be, as it were, and if you read the text on Matthew 3, 8, 8.35, it says, those of you, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. So you're there in the office and, you're, and people say, oh, well, you go to church, is that right? He said, yes, I do, actually. You believe in this miracle stuff and moment of truth. Do you want to be fated well by the people or do you want to stand this side with God? And you say, actually, I do. Really? Yes, I do. And I know it for a reality because he's touched me. So that's something good for us. Many times we have to be prepared to be thought of not well by the people who are the movers and the shakers. But Jesus said, if you're not ashamed of me, I won't be ashamed of you. All right. It's also on this Tuesday, or Tuesday, we've moved from Tuesday now, oh, we're moving forward now, that Judas decides that he's going to go down and bargain with the Jews as to how he's going to betray Jesus. And let me just say this by way of comment. Sometimes in your life as a follower of Jesus, you're good at what you do. You're considered a winner in your organization. But you know what? When it's you're doing well, some people are happy and some people are not. The crowd were happy but the religious authorities were not. And the religious authorities were plotting. And sometimes, I've experienced it, when you're doing good, there are other people who are plotting your demise. If it happened to Jesus, it will happen to us. So don't be surprised. We move quickly to Thursday. Jesus has the last supper with his disciples. You can read that in Mark. Before what will be his last night 
before he becomes the sin center of the universe for his disciples. And he prays for his disciples in Gethsemane. Come with me to John 17, 1 to 5. I can't read the whole chapter, but I just want to pull some things out here that will help us understand what's going on here. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Oh, I'd love to stop there, but I can't. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that you might, that, you, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on the earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. It's the Thursday night, and Jesus in his humanity as a man begins to feel the weight of what's going to happen the next day on the Friday. That phrase, Father, the hour has come. There's a weight on it. Because he knows he's going to be betrayed in Gethsemane by one of his own, Judas. He knows he's going to be questioned by Annas, the former high priest. He knows he's going to be condemned by Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. He knows that Peter is going to deny him three times. He knows he's going to stand trial before Pilate. He knows he's going to appear before Herod, the puppet king. And it's going to be one of those interesting things where the real king meets the king that is not the real king. He's going to be rejected as a loser and a criminal by the crowds on the Sunday said, who called, said, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they're going to reject him and they're going to choose Barabbas, who is a thief and a robber and a murderer, over him. He's going to be formally sentenced to death by Pilate, even though Pilate was trying his best to save him. And if, when you come and watch The Passion, you can feel how unfair it was. This was a good man. This was a righteous man. This is the man that healed the sick. And I feel it rising up in me. Why couldn't he do something to save himself? He's going to be mocked. He's going to be crucified between two thieves who were also considered to be losers by the society. Jesus is the winner on Monday and would be seen as the loser on Friday. However, Jesus, who is a winner, became a loser so that every loser could become a winner. Yes, Jesus, who is a winner. You remember, he had glory before the world began. 
became a loser. He chose to become a loser. So that every person who's had loser put over them can become a winner through what he was going to go through and achieve on a Roman cross outside a city wall. Paul, a follower of Jesus, he put it like this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God or we might become rightly related to God. You see, isn't the kingdom we're in an upside down kingdom? You, a winner has to become a loser so that a loser can become a winner. Jesus, who knew no sin, becomes a sinner, a loser for us, so that through what he has done, or in this case, what he was going to do at Calvary, you and I, who are losers in the sense that we will never be able to satisfy God on the basis of our performance, because we've all got stuff. And if whatever stuff you have, Jesus has dealt with the stuff because he became a loser for us. He stepped down from the glory that he had. He constructed himself to, and limited himself to be a human being. He experienced all the things that we experience, the writer to the Hebrews tells us, but without sin. And then became the sin center of the center of the world for us on that Good Friday. So that through him choosing to go to the cross, you and I can now, as we put our faith in that work that happened 2,000 years ago, can now come into the presence of God, cleansed and washed because of what he did at Calvary, our stuff expunged and removed, and we can call God Father. This is a wonderful thing. This is a wonderful thing. I need to finish here because I need to set it up for next week now. If our society or friends have labeled you a loser, Jesus chose to lose his life on a cross so that you put your trust in that work that happened 2,000 years ago. You can be cleansed, you can be washed of your stuff that makes you feel like a loser. We call it sin. So that in God's sight, you can become a winner. And here it is, folks. You're not a winner based on anything that you can do. You don't have to perform for it. You have to just recognize what you are. Yes, we're all losers. But we come to Jesus, who's the winner. And as we put our trust in him, so he's able to wash us clean. And friends, for those of you who are not followers of Jesus, I would, feel good, would to God that you would come and know him this day. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, that same cross is setting us free 
as we are being changed from one degree of glory into another, as the redemptive work of the cross begins to undo every work of darkness in our lives, and we're able to walk in the freedom and liberty of who we are in Christ. And this is an ongoing work. So please, let's stand. This morning, band, if you would come up, please. This morning, I particularly have in my heart word for someone where you were doing your work and you were doing it well, but unbeknown to you, there were people there who were jealous of you. And unbeknown to you, they were plotting your demise. And one day, you came in and they presented you with what they had been plotting against you. And what they had designed to destroy you and bring you down, this is the word to you, God is going to use to build you and strengthen you and bring you into what he has for you. Now, if that's you, you come and we're going to pray for you. Joseph said this to his brothers. He said, look, don't be upset about what you did. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to bring about this present result. And they may mean it for evil, but God is going to work it together for good to bring about that which he has promised to you. Yeah? Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that you came in the person of your son, Jesus. We thank you that you became a loser for us. We thank you that you laid aside your glory. You experienced rejection, pain, betrayal. And then when you were falsely accused, and sentenced to death on a cross. You clung to that cross. And there on that cross, you dealt with all our pain and all our shame and all our sorrow. Once for all. And then, Lord, you overcame the final enemy, death itself. We bless you that we can have a relationship with you because of what you have accomplished. That now we can call you Father.